It might be appealing to you. But Jesus says, before you go down that road, pick up your binoculars and look. Look down the end of that road. Because when you do, you're going to see the end of the road. And what you're going to find is that the end of that road is destruction. At the beginning of the road, it might look like a great road to go down. There's a lot of people on it. But look, Jesus says, look at the end. And you're going to see that it ends in destruction. And after you've looked at the end, then make your choice. Because Jesus says there's another road. That, the second road is more narrow. It has a much smaller gate. Jesus says that not many people are on this road. It's not as inviting as this road over here. Few people are on this road, but Jesus says, get your binoculars out and look at the end of the road. Where does it lead? Jesus says, if you look, you'll find at least life. The big road, the broad road, it leads to destruction, but this narrow road, it leads to life. Look through the binoculars, Jesus says, then, then make your choice. See the end from the beginning. This is the way Sinclair Ferguson says it. He says, Jesus is urging us as we make the vital decisions in life to think through things to their inevitable conclusion in the light of biblical teaching. What's he saying? See the end from the beginning. Now I mentioned that story again because below the motion is right here in this chapter, chapter 5 of Proverbs. Might be one of the clearest examples of the Bible teaching us to see the end from the beginning as in the whole life. You see, today, Proverbs 5 picks up the subject of sexual morality, the subject of adultery. And Solomon teaches all of us, both young and old, to think through and see the inevitable consequences, the conclusions of immoral actions before they happen in your life. To see the end from the beginning. You see, what the Bible is continuing to do, what wisdom in Proverbs is continually, continually pushing us to gain wisdom by seeing the results of bad decisions before they happen so you don't have to experience them in life. So as we look at this chapter... It breaks down into four parts, and I want you to see the end from the beginning in these four ways. Here we go. They all start with the letter C, easy to remember. I want you to see from this text the call, the contrasts, the consequences, and the commitment. The call, the contrast, the consequences, and the commitment. Let's first look down the road to see the end from the beginning, by first looking at verses 1 through 2, the call. Look at those verses one more time. The Bible says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. This passage opens in a way that's familiar to us. We've seen this talk before. My son, this is the family setting. This is the picture of a mother and a father sitting down with their child to teach them wisdom. And parents, this is a reminder that it is our responsibility as parents to teach our children right from wrong when it comes to sexual morality. 
That is not the job of the government. That is not the job of the school system. God has said to the mother and father, it is your responsibility to teach your children right from wrong when it regards morality. And then you see the conversation moving forward. It says, my son, then two main commands, be attentive and incline your ear. Again, this is not the first time we've seen this type of language in the book of Proverbs. If we remember back in chapter 2, verse 2, we talked about how to obtain wisdom. What is the posture of a person who obtains wisdom? And we see these two expressions again back in chapter 2. Be attentive, incline your ear, incline your heart. What this is saying is that we should put ourselves in a position to learn. An inclination, a leaning forward towards the teacher, an opening of the ear. Open your ears to hear what your parents have to say, what God is saying to you through your parents, through the Scriptures. Now, in order to do this, it involves some humility, doesn't it? It involves closing our mouths and actually listening to what someone else says. If we choose to be prideful, if we choose to be slothful, we will not have an attentive ear. We will not incline our hearts to the things of God. That's a reminder of what James says to us in James 1. Do you remember when he, when he said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to become angry? You see, this call is a call to discipline. Our sin nature fights against that. But the Bible over and over talks about the posture of the call of discipline. Incline your ear. Open your ears. Open your heart. Jesus said it so many times in the Gospels. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the call is a call to discipline. But then Solomon moves on. Secondly, to the contrasts. Let's read verses 3 through 6 one more time. See if you can find the contrast, at least three contrasts in these verses. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But at the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow to the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. And she does not even know it. Right here, Proverbs talks about the forbidden woman. Well, who is that? Who is she? Solomon here is talking about a lady who is coming after a married man. And Solomon is calling to us as believers, and he is encouraging us see the end from the beginning. In fact, he explicitly says it. I want you to see it in verse 4. Look at verse 4. Do you see the first four words? But in the end, you see that? Right there, he's explicitly saying, see the end result of the decision that you're getting ready to make before you make it. Look through those binoculars. Look to the end of the road. But in the end, he says, and he gives us three contrasts. He gives us the beginning and the end three times. Let me show them to you. 
The beginning of number one is found in verse three. Look at the first part. Verse 3 says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Honey is sweet. Honey is good. We all like sweet things. Taste good. We want that. And at the beginning, the forbidden woman, the adulterous woman, it's like honey. It's as sweet as honey. And when that temptation comes, if the only thing you see is the beginning, you're going to take the honey. You're going to take the bait. But Solomon says, don't just look at the beginning. He says, let me show you the end. The end comes in verse 4, the first part of verse 4. Look at it. But in the end, she is what? Bitter as wormwood. You see, at the beginning, the adulterous woman looks as sweet as honey. But if you follow her path, if you go with her, the Bible says it's going to end as bitter as wormwood. You think it's going to be sweet, but you're going to have a nasty taste in your mouth when this is all done. See the end from the beginning. Number two is found in the second part of verse three. And her speech is smoother than oil. We like smooth things. It doesn't hurt. It's dull. It's comfortable. It's gentle. It's soft. And the speech of this forbidden woman, the Bible says, is so smooth. It's sweet. Now it's smooth. Man, that looks good. That's something you say, I want that as part of my life. I like smooth. This is great. But Solomon says, get out the binoculars, look at the end, what happens. The end is in the second part of verse 4. Sharp as a two-edged sword. You see, what started as smooth and gentle now has become sharp and piercing. You've, maybe you've been stabbed or cut yourself with the end of a knife before. You know the sharp edge, you've hit the sharp edge of something, how piercing that is to your, to your body. The Bible says that will be the way your life will become if you follow the way of this adulterous woman. At the beginning it looks smooth, but it is sharp. Don't go her route. See the end. Number three is found in verse six. Verse 6 says, she does not ponder the path of life. The path of life. You might be tempted with an adulterous person to say, man, my life's going to get great. My life's going to get exciting. If I go with this person, if I, if I take her ways, man, this is the path to prosperity. All my wishes will come true. There's going to be life with her. Yet verse 5 says this. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. What you think is life at the beginning, Solomon says it will become death in the end. The death of your life, the death of your soul, the destruction of your family. You see, when something is as sweet as honey, as as smooth as oil, it looks advantageous. 
At the beginning, it seems great. You'll think, this is the right path for me. You'll think, this girl has got it all together. If I follow her, it will be the path of life. The Bible says the naive, the unlearned man, he only sees the beginning. But wisdom, wisdom comes to us and says, see the contrast. Because her path only leads to destruction. It's not the path of life. In fact, she's wandering around. The Bible says she doesn't even know where she's going. Her smooth becomes sharp. Her sweet becomes bitter. You see, the problem for all of us in this life is that sometimes we only look at the beginning and we never see the end. We just grab what we think is best, what is the shiniest, what is the smoothest, what is the prettiest, and we think this is going to satisfy all of our needs. But Solomon says to us, get the binoculars out. See the end of the road. Don't be so naive to think things are going to stay sweet and smooth because it's all going to end in destruction. As verse 4 says, in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. And this moves us now to our next point. The consequences. He's taught us the call discipline. He showed us the contrast, the beginning and the end. But now he says, look at it even further. Because if you end up going this route, you need to know the consequences that's going to happen in your life if you follow this woman. There's four in the text. Look at verse 11. You see the first one. The first consequence of following the forbidden woman the Bible says, is physical disease. Look at verse 11. At the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed. Right here, the Bible talks about sexually transmitted diseases. And it says these diseases are God-ordained consequences of a life of sexual sin. And we all don't have far to look to see someone whose life has been destroyed by these diseases. They are all over our society. And Solomon says, right now, see how your life can be consumed by this one bad decision. Do you really want to go that route? Because it will destroy you physically. The second consequence is financial ruin. Look at verse 10. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. The Bible says you follow the forbidden woman, you're going to be ruined financially. We have seen people in our society, men and women, they have spent Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars trying to have more than one relationship at the same time. From food to hotels to gifts, financially they're ruined because they're constantly chasing the forbidden woman. And it affects your marriage. Ultimately, it destroys your marriage. And as one commentator said, he said it this way, he said, few experiences in life are more expensive than divorce. 
consider the consequences. Number three, the destruction of your reputation. Look at verse 14. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Right here you have a man whose reputation has been destroyed. Things like character, things like trust, a good name, those are things that take years, even decades to develop. Yet all of this can be lost in an instant when it comes to sexual immorality. Number four. Four is a life of regret. Look at verses 12 and 13. And you say, how I hated discipline. And my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. This is a man who is pondering his past. He's saying, I had the opportunity to incline my ear and my heart. I had people telling me right from wrong. But you know what? I paid no attention to them. I decided to do my thing. I decided to follow the smooth words, the sweet words. This lady who seemed to have it all together. I didn't even consider the consequences. And now what are my consequences? It's regret. I regret now that my family is broken apart. I regret that my children are living in different places. I regret that I've lost their trust. I've lost their respect. I regret now that I have children from multiple ladies. And I don't even get to give those children the proper amount of attention. These are the consequences. Solomon is writing. He's saying, look down the road. See the consequences. And don't get to that point. Don't get to the point where you're struggling with disease, with financial ruin, destroyed reputation, a life of regret. Please, Solomon says, see the end. See the end from the beginning. So that leads us to our fourth point. And it's a point that if you're married today that we can all take into our hearts. And if you're not married, maybe one day you will be. Learn all of these lessons now. Learn how to love your wife now. Love your husband now. Because as this last point says, be committed. Have commitment in your life. Verses 15 through 23, this latter portion talks about commitment. And here's what it says. It says, be committed to your spouse and your spouse only. Husbands, be committed to your wife, but your wife only. Wives, be committed to your husband, but your husband only. And that commitment is not just with your body. It's with your thoughts. It's with the intentions of your hearts. Verse 15 is a good verse to memorize. Verse 15 is where I got the title to this sermon today. It says this, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own 
well. Drink water from your own cistern. On the positive side, this verse means that a person's sexual life must focus and be directed on his or her spouse and the spouse only. Drink water from your own cistern. But on the flip side, it means that the person also has to get rid of all sexual involvement that is outside of marriage. That means pornography, online relationships, improper work-related relationships, casual advances, all the way down to adultery. We are to rid these things from our lives and focus on our spouses and our spouses alone. And we might read a text like this and we might find, oh, we're not the ones being pursued, we're the ones pursuing. Maybe it's our lips that are dripping honey. Maybe it's our words that are smooth. It's got to go. Why? Drink water from your own cistern. This text says a man should be faithful to his wife and enjoy that relationship only. Verse 19 says it this way, a man should be intoxicated always in the love of the wife of his youth. Men, we need to pursue our wives. Wives, we need to pursue our husbands only. Drink exclusively from your own cistern. So what does wisdom teach us today? I have a quote from Jim Neuheiser that I'd like to read to you concerning this text. He says from this passage, Proverbs 5, wisdom teaches us to guard our heart. Wisdom warns us not to even desire what is not yours. Lust in the heart gives birth to sin, resulting in death. Take responsibility for what you allow to enter your eye and your ear gates. Take radical action to avoid temptation. Wisdom exhorts you to stay as far far away as possible from sexual sin. I've heard it said, those who fall into immorality usually don't fall far. Set standards for your relationships with the opposite sex and the entertainment to which you expose yourself. Don't be naive thinking that you will never fall sexually. Because as the Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So in closing today, do you hear the call? Do you hear the call the Bible gives us all to be attentive and to incline your ear? Do you see the contrasts? Solomon showing us the beginning and the end from smooth to sharp, from sweet to to bitter from life to death. Can you see the consequences? Can you get out the binoculars and look down the road and see this is going to lead to disease, financial ruin, a crushed reputation, the destruction of my family, a life of regret? And does that encourage you to be committed all the more to your spouse? 
to drink from your own cistern, to be intoxicated with the love for your spouse. You know, today I've talked about four C's. But as we close, I want to give you one more. We talked about the call, contrast, consequence, commitment, but I want to give you one more. That's the Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us that the earthly marriage relationship between a husband and a wife is a dim picture of the heavenly relationship between Christ and His church. For before the foundation of the world, our Heavenly Father had already selected a bride for His Son, and that bride is the church. And as we know, Jesus loved His bride to the uttermost. He died for her on the cross, even when as His bride, His church was an adulterous people. Christ loved His bride to the uttermost. He removed her sins as far as the east is from the west. And He gave her salvation by grace through faith. And since God chooses in the Bible to compare His relationship to the church to that between a husband and a wife, we see that marriage is a covenantal relationship. And here's the thing about our God. God is not just a covenant-making God. He's a covenant-keeping God. Christ was faithful. He was caring, compassionate, loyal, loving, even to the point of death for His bride. And you see, the good news for us is this, is that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There might be those of us today who have been involved in an adulterous relationship. You've maybe been on one side of that or the other. You were the pursued or you were pursuing. Guess what? This Christ loves you anyway, and He died for you, and He'll forgive you of your sin. You can find that grace and mercy in Jesus. Because every single one of us need it. And Christ will love you. Even when you've sinned against Him, He will love you. And He will give you a new heart. And He will encourage you in your life now because of His faithfulness to you. That you, all of us, should set before ourselves not only to be covenant makers in our wedding vows, but covenant keepers. To be faithful to our wives, to our husbands, just as God has been faithful to us. To forgive our wives, our husbands, just as Christ has forgiven us. Yes, God uses marriage as a picture of His relationship to the church. And we should strive to love others. We should strive to love our spouses the way Christ has so loved us. Pray with me, please.